It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World, and today we are going to save the economy. One man can do it. He's got broad shoulders and a brain the size of Saturn. His name is Brian Brenberg, and he is a professor of economics at the King's College in Manhattan. He is also a Fox News contributor. Uh, You see him oftentimes hosting the 5 p.m. show on the Fox Business Network. Uh, He is a brilliant a uh, liberty-minded economist who is better than anyone I've seen on television or in person at really breaking down complex ideas and telling you why it is so important to be concerned about certain things, how other things can fill you with hope, and where other people who talk about economics are often just loaded with snobbery. Brian Brenberg is so down to earth that uh, we call his strain of economics Brianomics. Brian, welcome to Kennedy Saves the World. That's a lot to live up to, Kennedy, but thank you. I do have to say, in comparing my brain to Saturn, I have had many people say I am a space brain, so you are within the majority on that view. That's wonderful, and and it's we, we need those unorthodox, out-of-the-box thinkers in order to save the economy, because uh, we are in a position right now where the government is spending way too much money. They are spending money we don't have, and they're not even close to done. We talk about this a lot on my Fox Business show, uh, but I, I really want to learn, um, first of all, how we can solve some of the problems that we're getting into right now that seem intractable and generational. And, and secondly, and, and first, I, I want to talk about how you came to develop your own economic philosophy, because I think that's really interesting. And, you know, I don't know what it's like when you start studying economics, you know, on the road to becoming a professor, but I'm sure that there are a few forks. And how, when were you first, when did you first encounter uh, liberty-minded economics? Was it, you know, did you read Milton Friedman? Did you have a great professor? Where did that happen in your journey? Yeah, great questions. Thank you for the chance to talk about this, Kennedy. It's such a thrill to get to go a little bit deeper and behind the scenes and not just stay at the headline level. And yeah, I mean, my journey as an economist was really unorthodox. I would say, though, that what what really piqued my interest in economics and in liberty-minded economics was actually uh, a mentor I had in college. He got to know him actually playing football. That was the reason he took an interest in me as a football player. But he was a, a businessman in Minnesota and a guy who uh, loved ideas and loved to share ideas. And he really challenged me to think about how the world works. You know, he, his his push to me was do you have a perspective on how the world works and why the world works? And the answer for a you know, college kid who was just interested in football was, no, I never really thought about why things happen the way they happen. And so he started to introduce me to thinkers like Milton Friedman and Friedrich Hayek. And he said, these guys have thought about how the world works and why it works the way it does. You should read them. You should engage their ideas. 
And he also introduced me to guys who disagreed with them. I mean, John Kenneth Galbraith, he, he said, you should read some John Kenneth Galbraith because he disagrees with these guys and you, you need to understand the great debate that moves markets and moves the economy. So I was just immensely blessed to have this uh, person come into my life, but that's what got me interested. And as I, as I started to read about what these thinkers thought and how they looked at the world, the thing that struck me, Kennedy, it was, it was, you don't often hear this word beauty when it comes to economics, but it was the beauty of the unpredictability of human creativity that totally captured my imagination. And it was, it was these thinkers, it was the Friedrich Hayek's thinking about the knowledge problem in society, the, the problem that we don't know where good things are going to come from. We don't know the future putting some theory around those ideas and creating this understanding in me that uh, economics begins with humility. Economics begins with not knowing where the next great thing could come from. And so that's why it's so important to create so much space, so much freedom and opportunity for people to show us what they can do. So that, that's what sort of drew me to economics. And it was, it was those thinkers we've talked about, the Austrian tradition, um, or, or just more broadly, the kind of the free market tradition. It was those thinkers that emphasized humility, emphasized creativity, emphasized possibility. And, and that's what made economics so beautiful to me. And I think it's really at the heart of where we are in this economic moment. You, and you started talking about spending, and I agree all this overspending is a problem. But to me, you know, beneath that daily headline, what the real problem we face right now economically and the kind of thinking that's coming out of Washington, D.C., the problem we face is we have a bunch of people who think, contra to all those economists who drew me to economics, they think that they can see further and better than anyone else about how the economy should develop. And so instead of making a lot of space for the creativity of individuals, they want to constrain individuals and they want to direct individuals and they want to subsidize and they want to make the world in the image of their vision and they want to coerce the rest of us to get on board with that. So I, I, I don't like that, number one, because it's antithetical to liberty. But number two, what I really don't like is we're going to end up crowding out the very people, the unpredictable, the unlikely people, the marginalized people. We're going to crowd out those people who can show us what a better future looks like through their ingenuity and creativity. When I look at our moment, I look at the socialist leanings, I look at the, the top-down central planning ethos of those in DC right now, that's the real risk I see. And by the way, as is always the case, going in that direction ends up hurting the least of these the most because it crowds out the space they need to prove to us what they can do, maybe with a crazy idea that the experts don't like, but that could end up becoming the thing that reinvents and makes our future better. So that's kind of how I came to economics. And that's what keeps me in the game right now, Kennedy. We're just at a moment where we need advocates for this, the space of liberty to allow people to do things none of us, even the smartest among us, could ever predict. 
Um, I, I really like what you're saying about creativity, and, and I believe in that completely. Um, you know, I, I, I came into broadcasting uh, through radio, through music radio, and I always loved music, and I loved interviewing bands, and I love seeing bands perform because I love seeing the embodiment of mm. pure raw creativity. And, and I think, you know, music and appreciating music and art is so much a part of our humanity, and I think that really manifests through business and through ideas and through problem solving and you know that humility of wanting to give back to people and wanting to make people's lives better and easier uh that is that's a foundation for entrepreneurship and what really bums me out like the the idea the uh, simpatico of creativity and capitalism to me is an incredible human intersection and so now we're in an era where capitalism is openly demonized and it's openly demonized by these you know these massive powerful establishment groups not only by uh politicians and and you know people like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but also these teachers unions who are pushing yeah. the idea, you know, within critical race theory that capitalism is bad. And, you know, we have all of this data and all of this evidence uh, to go along with that unbridled creativity, but they're completely ignoring it. So what does that do long term when you spend a lot of money, demonize capitalism? You know, where where do we end up? Well, you know, the, there's there's always in the economy. There's always there's always some theoretical potential that that we could get to if if everybody in the economy with the best ideas and the ability to prove those ideas, if they enacted those things, there's that theoretical potential. And every time you put a constraint on somebody, you tell them you can't do this or you have to do this or we're going to pay you money to do this, but we're going to take away money if you do that. Every time you put a constraint on them you move away from that theoretical possibility. You know, none of us know what that possibility is because we don't know the future. So, you know, you think about our problems today. You know, people want to find a cure for cancer. We want to find really cheap, efficient ways to communicate with each other and travel and, and get around the world. We want to power our lives without destroying the environment. You know, all these things that people, everybody wants to do that, by the way, whether you're on the left or the right, everybody wants those things. But if we lock into answers now, if we think we know the answers and we lock into those answers now by saying this is out of bounds and this is in bounds, well, we never get to that theoretical potential. We don't make the gains that we could make. And I just want to agree with you on the point you made about who lines up against capitalism. It's so crazy to me. You brought up you know, music and the creativity of the arts. Everybody who's interested in the arts or music, anything in those performance spaces uh, or those creative spaces, they totally understand that the artist needs a big blank space. And when people try to constrict that blank space, they constrict the creativity and they constrict the progress and the movement of the art. Those same folks often though line up against the creative white blank canvas space of capitalism because they don't think of it as creative. They've been taught to think of it in terms of capital. They've been taught to think of it in terms of supply and demand. And it's been made into this numerical modeling thing by the economics establishment. And so they don't think of it first and foremost, they don't think of the market as a creative enterprise. I think the the thing that has to be done now that's just not being done, but this is what I'm, you know, this is one of my main missions. This is why I teach. This is why I speak to high school and college audiences all the time. My main mission is to show people that 
when somebody walks into the marketplace to make something or do something, that is a supremely creative act. And just like the artist, just like the musician, they need the blank canvas face. And yeah, it means they're going to mess up. It means sometimes they're going to make the wrong stroke. They're going to go outside. You know, they're going to, they're going to spill paint, whatever. They've got to have the space to do that because you don't get to the possible if you don't try things that don't work. And if you don't have the space to get a little bit wild with your ideas. So that, that to me, Kennedy is that that's the, that's, that's the moment we're in. That's the message that absolutely has to resonate, especially with the younger generation who I think gets it on the artistic front, but has not made the leap to understand it at the commercial, at the market, uh, front and it has to happen there because both of those go with each other. You know, a, a vibrant economy creates vibrant opportunities for expression. Vibrant opportunities for expression can fuel the economy, but you can't dissociate those two. This is Kennedy Saves the World. Don't go anywhere. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. When you talk about younger people having a more dim view of capitalism, it's really funny because uh, I, I don't think they're naming it properly. Because, you know, mm. I have two girls who are 12 and 16, and... You know, they love apps. They love access to things. They love that they can get whatever they want when they want it almost immediately. And, you know, people who have a negative view of capitalism sure love uh, the spoils of the creativity yep. and people who've gone before them with these great ideas to make life easier and better. And, you know, I, I just I look at people who respond negatively to it. And, you know, I ask myself, like, what do you think they're doing in Sweden? You know, do you think they're just eating raw potatoes out of brown paper sacks? No, they consider themselves to be a market economy. And, mm -hmm. you know, yes, they have a, a larger welfare state, but that's because they have uh, some rules that they have agreed upon and their their economy is actually freer than ours. So what keeps you up at night? Like what is what is the biggest fear in terms of uh, economics and the way that politics and the economy are intersecting right now? I, you know, what really keeps me up, I guess, if anything does, is uh, the, the lack of historical awareness that always comes back to bite a generation. We have gotten, and this is just the point you made, we, we have gotten so used to the fruits of, of liberty enabling human creativity that we forget that you need to preserve and fight for and defend that space. We take it for granted. I, I think we have a generation that has never, has, has known nothing but growing prosperity by and large. You know, I, I think about myself and, and when I was born, when I grew up, you know, we had some recessions in there, but by and large, I have enjoyed the fruits of good economic ideas being put into practice and defended and established. And I get so nervous that we now have a generation who thinks that's the natural order of things. And we can try a lot of really weird, utopian, crazy ideas and think that they're somehow not going to knock that prosperity off kilter. That That's my concern. I look around the globe, you know, you look around the world and you look at countries that 
were once prosperous and had a bright future and took the kind of turn that we're signaling toward right now. And you've, you can see the devastation that results. And that always seemed impossible to me. And I look at it now and I think, well, this is exactly how it can happen. When yeah, you don't I mean, have look at look at Vietnam. You know, awareness. look look yeah. what happened to Vietnam when they became uh, completely isolationist. You know, look at Great Britain in the uh, the late sixties and seventies. You know, look at Venezuela, and and Venezuela. You know, there are people on the left who say, you know, oh, that's such an extreme example, and it's like no. that was one of the most oil rich countries in yes. the world. Yes, it's it's not. Those are not extreme examples. They're they're recent relevant, scary examples because nobody had the wherewithal to say, wait a second, what are we scrapping here? What are some fundamental basics that we are scrapping in order to pursue a pie in the sky plan? So I would say that that keeps me up a little bit at night, but I'd also say the thing that gives me some peace is that America is such a diverse place. Um, it's a place where even though maybe folks in urban environments control a lot of the media and a lot of the academy, there's still a huge swath of this country that gets up every day uh, and and goes to a work site or goes to a shop or goes to their office and they are dealing with needs in their community and, and the people around them who are going to help them meet those needs. And that actually gives me there's a lot of ballast in the ship of America. You know, we oh, forget about it because they don't always get to speak, but there's a lot of ballast there. And I think they just need, I think that that group is yearning for voices to get out there and say like, hey, we, we know what we're doing and we know how to create prosperity. Get the heck out of our way and quit bringing these crazy ideas um, from, a, from a policy and political perspective into the, um, you know, get get those out of the way so we can do the thing that we and our forefathers and their forefathers before them have been doing for a very long time. Yeah. And, and to your point, you know, there are people who are uh, working retail. There are people who are sitting in cubicles and offices and they are toiling and they're they're thinking they're optimists thinking like, how can I get out of here? And, you know, they yeah. will come upon their aha moment. And when I was working on the show Pitchmen on Discovery uh, with Anthony Sullivan, um, one of the ways you patent an invention is you have to describe your aha moment because mm. everyone has one. And that's kind of how you prove that you didn't steal it from someone else, because there mm. has to be a lightning bolt. And, you know, the lightning bolts are still coming. There, there are people who still want to. Uh, improve their station in life. There are people who know that there is more for them to do and they're hungry and I want them to stay hungry. So where do we go from here in terms of politics? Like how do we write this ship? Well, here's what I love. Uh, I love this moment in American life where you have a lot of states who are saying, you know what, we're a state. And in America, it, the political system, the constitutional system is structured in a certain way in this country to make sure that w when a state feels like, um, you know, the rights of its people are being trampled on, it has the opportunity to do something about that. I mean, that's the federalist system that we have. And what I love in this moment is there are some states around the country that are saying, you know what, um, what's happening in DC is, is antithetical to the prosperity and flourishing of the people in this state. 
everybody in this state. And we're going to, we're going to go a different route. We're going to say no to things going on in DC. We're going to say yes to things that DC won't look at it. I'm seeing that in states, uh, you know, in the Southeast, I'm seeing it in the Midwest. I'm seeing it in the Southwest. You know, I'd love to see more of it in the Northeast, uh, in the Northwest, but I'm seeing it happen in this country. And those are little experiments that prove natural experiments that prove what works and what doesn't and everybody gets to watch it that's the genius of america and i and we're just at a moment where we need we need natural experiments natural tests states going different ways and i'm confident that if if we do that people are going to vote with their feet people with ideas you know the idea generators that make the economy run they're going to vote with their feet they're going to go to places where they can pursue those ideas and they're going to create prosperity in those places and others are going to look at that and they're going to say okay I can see it. I had somebody try to sell me a theory, but I can see results that works. And that's the direction we should go to. So that, that gives me some hope, Kennedy. We're not one big, massive body in the United States. We're diverse. We're broken up uh, into jurisdictions that can try different things. And I think that was a genius move by our founders. And I think it could prove to be the thing in this moment that pulls us out of the kind of the tailspin of uh, uh, utopian, silly economic thinking that seems to have taken hold in some quarters in this country. Yeah, that's such a great point. The one size fits all thinking. Uh, people aren't going to take it sitting down. And, you know, we, we may live in vastly different Americas, but that that should be our choice. And, and people, mm. they will seek out prosperity they they will seek out a, a life that feels better to them where they know that uh, their kids are not being indoctrinated with propaganda and i, right. I want to thank you so much brian brenberg this has been such a <laughs> wonderful discussion and i i hope to continue i know we'll talk about it more on fox business and whenever yep. i have these economic queries i'm going to turn to you my friend <laughs> well i sure appreciate it kennedy i hope i wasn't too long-winded for you but you just set me loose on some subjects i love and i just appreciate the chance to talk about that and and love the chance to talk about it with you because you get it and you are such a good unlocker of these conversations so thanks for inviting me brian brenberg brianomics this has been kennedy saves the world i'm kennedy for more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.